on to week week five, the fifth beatitude today, and we're looking at mercy today, merciful. Blessed are those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. And within that today, um, as I've said a number of times now, the Beatitudes all flow, and this does flow from the last one, which was, anyone remember what the last one was? Hunger and thirst for righteousness, that's right. And this, so mercy does actually flow from that, and, and we'll see how today. But also, if you cast your mind back, I've also said that the first four were Beatitudes in relation to us and our relationship with God, whereas five to eight focus more on our, relati- our relationships out. And that's where we're starting today. We're starting to look at number five, and that starts to look at our relationship with those around us. And so bear that in mind as we look at mercy today, but also on top of that, mercy relates to week one. Week five relates back to week one, which was poor in spirit. That's what you're all thinking, I know. So mercy is the first of the outworking in our relationships around us, but it flows from week four, but it links with week one as well. And if all that sounds really confusing, good. But by the end of today, hopefully we'll get there and it'll make a bit more sense. So before we start, let's pray. Father, we thank you that this is your word and that you have revealed yourself through your word. And through your word through your Holy Spirit that inspired it, we ask that you open our eyes to what you're saying to us today. Open our minds and open our ears to hear your voice so that we can reflect you and be the people you want us to be. In your son's name, amen. So hopefully by the end of today's sermon, all of that will start to make a bit more sense. And I've had a number of people actually say to me that I've never really heard the Beatitudes preached like this before. And it's all a bit different and really challenging. And to that I say, good. (laughs) It's good to see things from a different perspective and be challenged in new ways to think about things from a new perspective. And so I'm actually really encouraged that, that people are finding this a bit of a struggle because it should be. God's word, we should be wrestling with it, struggling with it. Um, they're all good things. Uh, if you're wrestling with this at the moment going, I'm just not getting it, that's okay. It doesn't mean you're failing. It means that's good because you're engaged in wrestling with it. So be hardened by that, please. So who knows what today is? It is very good. Half marks. Because <laughs> you remember what I said earlier. What else is today? 5th of June. Anyone an idea? Close. I'll take your word for that, but that's not where I'm focused. (laughs) It's hot air balloon day. Hot air balloon day. The day to celebrate hot air balloons. 
Now, hot air balloons are the earliest form of flight technology, and because the air inside the balloon is hotter, it's at a lower density and the balloon rises. In Australian culture today, if you're told you're full of hot air, <laughs> is that a compliment or not so much of a compliment? But it's not really thought of as, as a compliment, is it? Being told you're full of hot air is usually a subtle way of saying, be quiet. <laughs> you're talking garbage. Yet, this series, one of the things I've regularly done is challenge us as a church to look at how we're viewed by the community, haven't I? And it hasn't been such a pretty picture on the whole, has it? On the whole, it's, it's been pretty brutal how the community see us as a church. And in a sense, they see us as full of hot air. The community see the church as full of hot air. And some of the reasons for that are a bit harsh, some of the reasons are perfectly justified because we've kicked home goals and done some really dumb things over the years as, as churches. But mercy is one of the, is the first outworking of the other four Beatitudes we just looked at into our community. And I don't think it's an accident that mercy is the first one, the basis for everything else we do. And as we... Look at this today. Hopefully you will start to understand why mercy is the first of the Beatitudes that look at our outworking and our relationships with other people. Hopefully that will become apparent. So what is mercy? Before we start talking about what it means, what, how Jesus lived it out or how we should live it out or anything, what is mercy? It's goodness offered to those in misery or distress, and it mostly includes compassion or forbearance, resist, restraint, shown to an offender. So shown to somebody that only deserves justice. So mercy is not giving someone something that they deserve. Okay? Now, many people use blessing... Uh, Grace and mercy as synonyms, but they're not. There is a very subtle difference between grace and mercy, and we need to make sure we understand that. They both flow out of blessings. They are both blessings, but they're completely opposite blessings. <laughs> mercy is not giving someone something they deserve, the justice that they deserve, the results of their choices that they deserve. That's mercy, withholding what they should have got. Grace is giving them something that they never earned. That is a good thing. Okay? So, mercy is not giving them something that they did deserve, and blessing is giving them something they did not deserve. 
And so they're actually two different things. A really simple way to understand it, if you, and if you're on Facebook, you will have seen this little picture. Think of the prodigal son. Mercy was the father not telling him to go take a hike when the prodigal son comes back. That's mercy. Mercy is not telling the son, you wished I was dead, which in effect is what the son said when he said, give me half of the estate, I want you dead. Then he goes off, squanders it, comes back. Mercy is the father saying, is not, not sending him away. Okay, That's the consequences of the son's choice. Get out of here. I'm dead to you. Take a hike. Go back to feeding pigs. And the father doesn't say that. That's mercy. Grace is the father restoring the son to the level of son and throwing him a feast. That's grace. Mercy is not giving him what he deserved. Grace is giving him something he never could earn. And there's the difference between mercy and grace. And the reason I say that is because when we start to get told we need to be merciful, blessed are the merciful for they will be shown mercy, we need to understand what mercy is. Mercy is giving something to people that they... not giving something to people that they do deserve. Okay? That's the, that's the start. Now, how does that relate back to week one? Blessed are the poor in spirit. If we're meant to be showing mercy to others, and we'll get to how that looks later on, but how does mercy relate to being poor in spirit? When we realise humbly that we're spiritually bankrupt before God, God shows us mercy. Because what do we deserve? Punishment. We deserve death. We deserve rejection from God because we have rejected God. But God shows us mercy and so... As we live out in the world, we are to then show mercy. We are to show the same mercy that God showed us. Week one, God shows us mercy when we humbly recognise that we're bankrupt before him. Week five, we show mercy to others because God has shown mercy to us. So how do we see that in Jesus? How do we see that the idea of being merciful? Well, there's many examples, but as you can imagine, after listening to Mark do the Bible reading passages, we're going to look at the lady caught in adultery in John chapter 8. And it's an interesting passage because when you look at it, You'll see it's usually in italics. 
And there'll be a little heading there around there somewhere saying, not in the earliest manuscripts found of the fourth gospel. And so there's widespread speculation that this was a later edition. It was added in later on. And the original letter of John didn't actually have this story. And they did a survey a number of years ago now of thousands and thousands of pastors and theologians and academics and all the rest. And it was voted at about 80% of people thought that this passage probably was not in the original John, the original fourth gospel. However, they asked a second question. Do you think this story accurately represents Jesus? If there was a situation where he was brought a woman caught in adultery, is this how Jesus would have responded? Even though it's not in, 80% have just voted that it actually wasn't in the original fourth gospel writing. Over 90% said yes. Over 90% of theologians, academics, pastors and all the rest said that this is a true representation of how Jesus would have acted. And he acted with mercy. And as you read through the passage, there's an interesting silence there. If you, if you think about this logically, what is adultery? Pardon? Put it bluntly, sex outside of marriage. How many people do you need to commit adultery? Exactly. We read through that passage and all the religious leaders have brought to Jesus is the woman. Where's the man who she was having adultery with? It doesn't say who was married, who was not married, doesn't, but that's irrelevant. Where's the man? Was the man married? Was she married? What? It doesn't tell us. But Jesus is approached by the religious leaders conveniently only with the woman and said, we have a law that she should die because she has committed adultery. And so Jesus, what does he do? He starts bending, he bends down, starts riding in the dirt. Now there's all sorts of theories and ideas and suggestions as to what he was writing. It was never recorded, so ultimately they're all, it's all speculation. But Jesus starts writing, he stands up and says what? What does Jesus say to the circle of everyone wanting to stone her? What's that? Thank you, yep. He who, the person who here has committed no sin is absolutely perfect. You get to throw the first stone. Has he at any point, at, at this point in the story, as he declares that, has Jesus declared the woman innocent? Has he said that she does not deserve to be punished? No. He has just simply said that whoever is perfect gets to throw the first stone. And ironically enough, it's the older men who 
walk away first. I will give credit to that point. (laughs) At least the older men start to realise first that I ain't perfect and I don't get to throw a stone in this situation. They drop their stone, walk away, and it's the younger ones who take a bit longer for the penny to drop they're not perfect. And so at this point, it's just Jesus and the lady. And Jesus says, is there anyone to condemn you to throw the first stone? She says, no. Jesus says, well, neither do I condemn you. That's mercy. That is mercy. He hasn't said, look, just forget about it, don't worry, it all happens to the best of us. He goes, neither do I condemn you. Go and leave your life of sin. Go and sin no more. That's mercy. Because he is not giving the lady what she deserves. Just like God doesn't give us what we deserve when we accept Jesus. He shows us mercy when we accept Jesus. He doesn't give us the justice that we should get. But Jesus, if you notice something else about mercy here, has at any point Jesus agreed with what she's done. Showing mercy to someone down the street tomorrow morning when you're at Coles or at work or wherever you are, showing mercy does not mean that you agree with whatever that person is doing. And that's one of the big fallacies that society today is so caught up with. If you love me, and if you accept me, then you have to agree with me. 100%. You have to agree with me. You have to agree with my ideas, my beliefs, my values. And if you don't agree with me, then you don't love me and you don't accept me and you are therefore an enemy. But that's not... That's not what mercy is. That's not what love is. Love is saying that I love you, I will do the right thing by you, I will show you mercy. But it doesn't mean I have to agree with you. We can hold different opinions on things and still actually love and accept each other as human beings. And mercy is therefore not giving people what they deserve. And it does tie very much in with what we looked at in the fourth beatitude of a hunger and thirst for righteousness. Because how are we as a church meant to be characterised? It's Pentecost Sunday. Holy Spirit came today to the early church. Okay? Holy Spirit came... God, the Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, now lives in each one of the believer's hearts. Throughout the last 2,000 years, anyone who has faithfully followed Jesus has had the Holy Spirit living in their heart. How are we meant to be characterised? That's not a rhetorical question, by the way. 
Be just like Jesus. Grow fruit of the Spirit. Yep. Pardon? Follow the commandments. It's in... We're meant to be living lives that's so radically different from the world today because we have an entirely different foundation for our lives. If we truly recognise that we're spiritually bankrupt, right, before God, and we genuinely repent and hate the fact that we're spiritually bankrupt before God, and so therefore we start to submit our will to God's will and start to want to think like God more and more and become more meek. And as we start to think like God more, we hunger, we see the world as God sees the world and we see how much injustice and pain and suffering and wrong and sin and just outright corruption there is in the world compared to what God originally created. We hunger and thirst with desperation to see the world go back to what God wanted it to be originally when he created it. As we go through that, we come to mercy. How do we live out what God wants? By showing mercy, by showing love to people. It doesn't mean you agree with them, but it means you love them in spite of whatever their opinion is. Ever heard the saying, you catch more flies with a teaspoon of honey than a bucket of vinegar? It's very true. Mercy is the honey. Judgment, condemnation, you're going to burn in hell. That's vinegar. It may be true that if they don't come to Christ, if they don't faithfully commit their life to Christ, they're going to face eternal separation from God. That's what God's word says. There's no denying that. I'm not saying that's not the case. But there's ways and there's means of saying it to people in a way that actually they want to learn more. And too many times over the years, the church has not done that. That's why the church is often seen as being full of hot air. Because our lives don't marry up with our words. We haven't shown enough mercy. So how do we show mercy to people? How, if, if we're meant to be hungering and thirsting for righteousness because we're seeing things as God sees them because our will is becoming more like his will, how do we actually try and be more merciful? By forgiving people. Forgiving people God forgave us. By forgiving people. But how do we... Yeah. Love people, absolutely. And what's the quickest way to be able to love people, to be able to forgive people? There's a really simple, quick way to do it. And it's really, really rare. And it sucks doing it. And I hate doing it as well for the same reason that pretty much everyone else in the world hates doing it too. 
part. Tell them about God. Not really. Thank you. Getting to know them. Looking at them and their life through their eyes. Listening to them so deeply and so intimately that you actually walk their journey as best you can in their shoes. Because when you start to see their journey, their life, their decisions, their thinking from their perspective, through their experiences, through what life has taught them, you are then in a position... And I guarantee you, you will start to show a lot more mercy when you understand someone from their position. What do you think God did for us? He was in heaven. You've got God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. They've been in heaven together in a perfect relationship for all eternity. They do not need creation. Okay? They don't need the universe, they don't need the stars, they don't need the planets, they don't need human beings. They don't need it. But they created it all. Why? Because they were so full of love that love creates. They wanted to share that thing called a relationship that they had and so they created us. And then what do we go and do? We stuff it up. Thank you. We do. And that's the perfect way to put it. We stuff it up. So at that point, what does God do? He starts making a plan to leave heaven, to come to earth, to experience our existence through our eyes. And that is why, and next year we might work through Hebrews, because that's a nice simple book to work through, But Hebrews dives deep into the fact that Jesus experienced everything that we experienced but was without sin, but he experienced it. He left heaven to journey with us through our eyes and now he is the perfect high priest that can relate to everything we go through because he has experienced it. And if we're going to become more like Jesus... We need to be more merciful to those around us. And how are we going to be that? By getting to know them, by building the relationships that allow us to see their journey through their eyes, walk in their shoes. And I guarantee you, as you start to experience people's journey from their perspective, the bucket of vinegar is going to get tossed away. I guarantee you the bucket of vinegar will get tossed away because the more you understand their journey from their eyes, the more you will start to realise how much of a creation they are in the imitation of God. Every single person you ever come to meet is created in God's image, whether they know it or not. And mercy is the outworking of a hunger for thirst, hunger and thirst for righteousness. Mercy is that outworking because it is showing people how much God loves them. It's not judging them, it's not condemning them. That's mercy. Now I just want to finish quickly 
with the second half of the verse. Because this is an interesting one. Blessed are those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Ever thought about that second part? Blessed are those, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Off the top of your head, not a rhetorical question, what do you think that means? Blessed are those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. What do you think that means on initial reading? How does that give you a bit of a shake-up? Yep, it's exactly the same. If you don't forgive others, then you won't be forgiven. If you don't show mercy, you won't be showing mercy. Does that fit our biblical narrative of God? Not really. We like to think that God's just always going to show mercy, whether we choose to or not, but God's going, no, 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 no. That's not quite how it works. See, these are characteristics of the kingdom. These are characteristics of people who belong to the kingdom. If you're not willing to show mercy to other people, are you truly a part of God's kingdom? Because if you can't show mercy to other people, I would question whether you actually see yourself in the right position before God. Now that may sound really brutal, okay? And I don't take it back. Because if you can't show mercy to other people, then you're clearly not able to see yourself in relation to God too clearly. Because God's already showing you more mercy than you can show anyone else. Mercy is the honey in a teaspoon. You start showing mercy, you won't need a bucket of vinegar. You'll be catching more flies than you know what to do with. And as we show more mercy we will stop being known as full of hot air because we will be living out God's love. People don't care how much you know. People don't even care about facts these days. That sounds scary, doesn't it? But they don't. They do not care about facts coming out of my mouth or your mouth until they know how much I care about them. Until they know that I actually care, they don't care what I say. And the only way I'm going to be able to show them that I care is by journeying with them, walking with them, looking at things from their position, listening to their stories through their ears, through their eyes. Never know. You might actually be challenged and it's and just to conclude I know I said I'll wrap up a minute ago but I'll wrap up in a minute from now (laughs) why is that so hard 
Why is it so hard to look at things from other people's perspective, to allow ourselves to look at other people's stories from their perspective? You know why? I had a good think about this. It's so hard, and it's hard for all people. I'm not just picking on one or two people in the room or doing a self-loathing thing or whatever. It's hard for all people to do, and you know why? Because as human beings... We are naturally problem solvers, but we're also lazy. And so what happens is when you start to listen to someone's story and you allow yourself to see it from their perspective, you're obliged to journey with them. You feel it naturally in yourself that you should journey with them, but you don't want to because it's taking you out of your comfort zone and it's taking me out of my comfort zone. And so what's easier is to not hear the story in the first place. Because if I don't hear the story, I don't hear the problem. If I don't hear the problem, I don't have to solve the problem. I don't have to journey with them. I don't have to get messy. And so I don't want to hear the story. I don't want to hear the problem. I don't want to hear the situation. It's far easier for me to not hear it and just judge. Because the second I start listening to you, and your story through your eyes, you're going to start confusing me with facts. And you're going to start confusing me with a situation that takes me out of my comfort zone. You do need to be very careful of that. Absolutely, you need to be very careful of not being led astray yourself. But in the midst of that, which is a very genuine concern, if you never journey with someone, you have no hope of showing them mercy. And there is that balance. And we see that with Jesus many times where he goes into a situation and there is a temptation there but he resists the temptation but shows God's love and that's what we're called to do. So thank you for that. Yes, it's an important thing to recognise. So let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are the ultimate example of all of these Beatitudes, that every single one of them is perfect when we look at it in you. And we ask that you will help us and challenge us and create in us a likeness of you so that we can reflect you to each other in our family here at Wingham Baptist and your family across the world, but also to the world. Help us to reflect you in all situations so that your name can be glorified the way it should be. Your son we ask. Amen.